0: Hello, Beyond the Mass listeners, Jeremy here. The a Foundation is planning another great fundraising event and you won't even have to leave the comfort of your home to attend. Treasure Island, a virtual event for CRNAs and SRNAs, will be an online event featuring live and pre-recorded fun, information, recognition, and education presented by and for CRNAs and SRNAs. We set sail to Treasure Island on Sunday, August the 16th and content will be available throughout August and September. Tickets are $100 for CRNAs and $25 for SRNAs. You can purchase your tickets today at www.aanafoundation.com and designate Treasure Island
1: Ticket
2: That's more like it. We haven't been in the studio in how long? A couple uh, months now? Yeah, it's
0: been a couple months. But this uh, this remote thing's working pretty good.
2: It's working okay, but I will be glad to see you back in the studio, Jeremy.
0: Yeah, me too, Sharon. It, it, yeah, it is a different Yeah, and we got to get
2: Sandy back in there. I know Sandy likes to be in the studio.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. She does. She does. So. Well, I think we've got another great show lined up for our listeners today.
2: I know we've been waiting for a while to get this guest on with us.
0: Yeah. So we're going to be talking about today's CRNA advocacy and state GRC efforts. And our wonderful guest today is Debbie Barber. Welcome, Debbie.
3: Thank you. Thank you all for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How are things up in Louisville?
3: Uh, Louisville. Did I say that right? Did I say it right? Yeah, Louisville. <laughs>
0: Louisville. You got to say <laughs> it I kind of fast, right? It
3: correctly, because I'm not a native. But. Um, <laughs> Basically the same as it is for everybody all over the country. You know, we're trying to stay at home. I was just telling Sharon I'm working a little bit. We're doing a few cases. I'm always happy to get out of the house and go do something because I think we're all starting to go a little stir crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, my my wife is CRNA. She's been off for three and a half, four weeks now, and our kids are at home. So she's homeschooling and, oh, wow. you know, doing all kinds of stuff that she's not used to doing. But I think we all are right now just to kind of wade our way through this thing so debbie tell us a little tell our listeners a little bit about your background and kind of kick us well, off
3: well i have um i've been a crna for uh, about 28 years now which i find very hard to believe <laughs> i think sharon and i graduated right around the same time mm-hmm. sharon, you've been lying to me
0: you told me you've only been doing it for 10 years what? <laughs> <laughs> gosh all this time
2: <laughs> yeah we did graduate the same year 1992 yeah, did, uh,
3: Jim Walker was in your class, right? He was in my class, yeah. And then I saw we graduated high school the same year, also from our senior years oh, we just. Yeah. <laughs> so our following.
2: paths paralleled.
3: Yeah, similar timeline here. But so, yeah, 28 years of experience. I started out early on. Um, I graduated from Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, and I did all cardiac anesthesia for a few years. And then I moved to Louisville, where I mostly did cardiac anesthesia, but I started getting involved with other types of procedures. And at that time, I developed a good relationship with one of the plastic surgeons, and he eventually opened an outpatient surgery center and asked me to come with him. So that's where I've been the past 12 years. I had the opportunity to start my own business there. And I initially partnered with an anesthesiologist. He and I were partners for the first 12 years of the business. And then last year, uh, he retired, and I bought him out, and I'm now the sole owner of Triple Crown Anesthesia. And I hired another CRNA, Laura Barrow, who's fantastic. And so now she and I are essentially an all-CRNA group.
2: Awesome. Nice. Yeah. I I didn't realize you and Laura were together. Laura was my PR committee chair when I was AANA president. Yeah. she She did a fantastic job. So yeah, that, that's,
3: that's a great cool. asset to the practice. And then I also, um, I'm adjunct faculty at Northern Kentucky University, where I teach uh, healthcare policy, leadership, and professional aspects. So that's oh my, my time job.
2: Wow. <laughs> Which is probably a full time job in and <laughs> yeah. of itself. And you make the least amount of money doing that part <laughs> of the job. Right. I'm sure. Yes, definitely. That's, we yeah. call
0: that giving back, Sharon.
2: Yeah, but she's shaping young minds, and so that's a good thing. So speaking of young minds, you know, we have a very – young listenership. 70% of our listeners are from 23 to 34 years of age. So you're having an opportunity to shape young minds right now on this podcast. So we'll just jump right in. And we're talking about advocacy and state GRC work. But first of all, talk about the importance of understanding CRNA practice and full practice authority.
3: Okay. Now, this is a topic that I feel very strongly about because I'm always amazed when CRNAs will say things to me like, well, I'm working at this institution and I have to have an anesthesiologist and I know you don't. And so I start to explain practice how it works that, you know, the CMS requirements say you have to work under physician supervision unless your state is opted out. And now obviously we've had the recent provision where CMS released the physician supervision in all 50 states. But I am really always surprised when CRNAs think they have to work under an anesthesiologist. And um, I feel very strongly that every CRNA needs to know the legalities of their practice and the parameters of their practice and be prepared to explain this on any given day Because now that we have evolved into an all-CRNA practice, I continually get questions from uh, surgeons and nurses. They basically ask me if what we're doing is legal. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, well, I love working with you guys, but are we doing anything wrong here? (laughs) So, you know, I'm always very quick to jump to the language and say, here's what CMS language says. And then I move on to, in Kentucky, we are an opt-out state. And now obviously I have the other piece to add that, you know, CMS has temporarily opted out all states. But, you know, I move on to talk about their liability, you know, and I really believe every CRNA needs to have these tools available to them and know this information and be prepared to speak to it anytime someone questions your practice and what your abilities are.
2: Well, you know, speaking of having that information available, I know that you were government relations chair for the AANA for a while, and they have all kinds of resources. Why don't you talk about some of the resources that AANA has for you if you don't know these answers?
3: Well, yes, I was government relations chair for three years. And um, once again, one thing I'm often surprised I'll see on social media, someone will come up and with a question about something such as AA's, anesthesiologist assistance. And they'll say, I just don't understand why the AANA doesn't have any information on this. And when I see posts like that, I usually quickly jump in and say, the AANA does have information on this topic, but I can't understand why so many members do have some difficulty with this process. The AANA, the government relations, both state and federal have a vast amount of resources on the AANA website. And I was on the board with Sharon for two years. And then I was government relations chair for three years. And I still have trouble navigating that website. Mm, So
2: much content on there. I understand it's a problem.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I know where to usually find things. So I will keep digging and I can usually find it. But, you know, one thing I always encourage people to do is rather than spending hours trying to pull up what you need, the staff at AANA for government relations are fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, usually my first move is to call either Anna Poliak or Jana Conover and just say, here's my issue. Can you send me all the documentation on it? Mm -hmm. And they know exactly where all that information is. And they will have that to you in an email probably within 30 minutes of your request. And so I think a lot of times people, that's one of the values of membership people don't appreciate is that we have all these resources right at our fingertips. And yes, it's on the website, you know, they have toolkits for office surgery, prescriptive authority, pain management, AAs, opt out, all of these, there's toolkits, there's flowcharts on supervision all kinds of things like that. But they are difficult to find. But you really don't have to spend your time digging through the website. You can just shoot an email to those guys or give them a call, and they will get you everything you need to move forward with any topic that you have.
0: Hey, Debbie, I'm going to jump in for just a minute. You, you mentioned a few minutes ago uh, the temporary CRMS guidelines. And I know that, you know, everybody's talking about that. It's all over social media. The ANA is on this. But I guess my question would be to you as a personal opinion is, you know, one, what are the thoughts behind that from the CMS perspective? And two, if in times of crisis, CRNAs can do their work and not be supervised, then how come they can't do it every day?
3: Exactly. And to the forefront, how CRNAs should be practicing already. And the hope is that when this is all over, we can move this from a temporary motion to a permanent motion. And I think CRNAs are definitely doing the job right now where they're proving that we are most useful when we're set free and can work without barriers to our practice. And as we move forward trying to get the economy going, we're obviously, the country is spending a lot of money to try to get us out of this mess. So it's gonna be very important to look for the most cost-effective method of providing healthcare. And CRNAs, we are definitely one of the answers to that issue. We have been shown through multiple studies that we are the most cost-effective anesthesia provider, and there's no difference in safety when a CRNA is providing the anesthesia. So I believe that moving forward, we should, have a very good case to make for the fact that we should have a permanent removal of these barriers.
0: Yeah. Reach it, sister.
3: Preach it, sister.
2: We, <laughs> <laughs> it, we, sister. we,
0: we all know that uh, your physician colleagues will also have their opinion and lots of money to throw at that. So uh, it's going know, to be
2: interesting to see what their argument will be after yeah. this is over with. I mean, have uh-huh. you given that much thought, Debbie?
3: Yes, and what and they'll they come really out with. It. They really cannot make an argument about economics, and right now economics is going to completely rule the conversation. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, I think you know, as we and as we try to get elective surgeries going again, we're still going to have the COVID nineteen crisis occurring. You know, a great it's a great opportunity for anesthesia groups to say, well, we'll keep the anesthesiologists, and maybe a few CRNAs in the ICUs managing airways and ventilators. But then we'll just move all our CRNAs back into the OR so we can start tackling this mass of uh, elective uh, cases that are out there.
0: Yep. This big glut that's coming down the line that we all know is coming because uh, you can't take elective surgeries off for two months and expect people aren't going to have them done when things come back online. So, I agree. I think the future is bright for CRNAs here, and I'll be interested to see how this fight is handled by your counterparts just in light of basically that you are the the most economic provider and that really there is no information out there that says CRNAs don't give anesthesia as well as anesthesiologists. So, so You know,
2: whenever I go to the General Assembly, and speak on our behalf. And you have to remember that you may be talking to a dairy farmer or you may be talking to an undertaker or a funeral director, I guess is the appropriate term now. They have all kinds of occupations and they do not understand anesthesia. And so whenever I relate to them that nurse anesthetists give nearly 100% of all rural anesthesia, and then when they get that, And they understand it. And they go, well, you're not a doctor. And I say, yeah. And and we do just as good or even a better job. And then how I bring it home to them is I say, and did you see in the newspaper yesterday another nurse anesthetist kills another patient? Well, no, Sharon, I didn't. Have you ever seen that in the paper, sir? Um, No, I haven't. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it would be making the front page of the news
0: Absolutely. Uh, all the
2: time. And then they get it. They get it. Yeah. Or I'll ask them, how's that hole going behind that hospital? Um, your community hospital. <laughs> well, what hole, Sharon? Well, the ones where they we're hiding all the dead bodies. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and there's a line you have used, Sharon, in the past that I always still that is uh, the standard of care is the same regardless of who is at the head of the bed. Mm.
2: That's right. I was working one day and I was looking in that nurse anesthesia handbook on my cart. And the doctor that I was working with is GI doc, but he's also boarded in internal medicine. And he grabbed the book and he started looking at it. And he goes, well, this looks exactly like the book I had whenever... I was in school and I said, well, did you think that ours says see Jane run or something? <laughs> I said, the physiology is the same. We have the same books you have. Do you think they write a dumb book for CRNAs or something? No, we all
3: have the same books. <laughs> that we learn, you know, from the same types of Material they do. I mean, and I've told people we go to the same continuing education conferences that physicians go to. Yeah, it's not like there's a B track that the CRNAs attend.
2: <laughs> <We go laughs> the dumb the
3: track, <laughs> <laughs> course.
0: <laughs> well, this this whole topic is the reason that advocacy is so important. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it really is. And you know, as we we kind of pivot back to the states here. What resources are available, I guess, from ANA for the state legislative lobby days and so forth that go on in each state?
3: Well, once again, there's – on the website, there's an entire section on lobby days. And you can dig through, and that one is definitely one that's hard to find. You can uh, go through the information and search that out. Or you can just call Anna or Jana and have them send you lobby day resources. And they have a whole – little template laid out of ideas for Lobby Day, and they actually have individual states and different things they have done through the years to uh, for a successful Lobby Day. And, you know, there's all kinds of great ideas, but bring an anesthesia machine into the uh, Capitol or wherever you're going to be meeting the legislators and set that up and show them how that works? Bring simulation equipment, like an intubation dummy, and let and play around with your video scopes and show them. You know, this is a skill we have because a lot of people do not realize. They just assume, you know, oh, nurse anesthetist, you're standing there helping the doctor. He's doing all the complicated things. And when you can show them firsthand, well, look, here's one of the things we do every day. We do these intubations and we use these fancy scopes. And yeah. a lot of times, you get questions like, oh, well, I didn't realize you guys actually did that. And obviously now everybody in the country knows what intubation Mm -hmm. means. They're hearing the term, you know, and everybody's talking about it. But, you know, we still got to get that message out that um, CRNAs are a part of this. I mean, yesterday I heard the doctor who's been doing the updates with our governor in the state. He showed one of those intubation boxes and he continually said, this is what the physicians use when they intubate the patients. So that's my Mm. next mission is to find out how to get in touch with him and let him know that a lot of the intubations are being done.
0: It kind of reminds me. The (laughs)
3: RNAs.
0: Have you guys? uh, This as a sidebar on Netflix. They've got this series called The Tiger King. Have you guys watched that? It's so.
3: Not, but I know what you're talking about. Okay, it's
0: it's really crazy and wild, but you know they are lobbying for this tiger big cat bill. I think is what they call it. And so Joe Exotic, who's on there, and some of the other folks, they take these baby tigers to the Capitol with them to educate the lawmakers there as to, you know, what tigers do and how they are and so forth. And it's kind of like what you said a few minutes ago, Sharon, if they don't have a background in this, they're never going to know what you're talking about. And, you know, I just kind of break it down, Debbie, back to what you just said. I mean, Teaching them about what actually goes on is probably ninety five to ninety seven percent of the battle here. Because they really don't have a clue. They don't understand. I mean, folks that you know are out here that you know I talk to and I say, Hey, I work with nurse anesthetists, they go, What? Who? What? Well, you take, know, they don't take those me.
2: legislators to work with you one day. And, um, yes. one of the legislators that I took to work with me long time ago now lobbies for us
0: yeah patrick that's right
2: mm-hmm. that's right so uh, yeah, that's, that's a, a really huge
3: Yeah. all
2: you got to do is ask them
3: yeah yeah that- and i've been offering that to every single one of them both in dc and in um the state legislature that you know if any you guys ever want to come and follow us around and see what it is we do on a day-to-day basis you're more than welcome And we have several rural practices with CRNAs, and I always encourage them, get these guys in your practice. Let them see what you guys are doing as an all-CRNA group. And I think it really is effective when they can see that. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, you know, talking about your lobby day, we always have all of the school's bring stuff down they dress in scrubs they have little displays at the general assembly and we've had gas machines there before but they thought they were ice cream making machines (laughs) until we told them what they were but you know you bring up a good point in that regard about getting students involved now should students be involved in advocacy debbie
3: Oh, absolutely, and that's what I'm so excited that I have the opportunity to teach uh, the courses of leadership, healthcare policy, and professional aspects, because the topic of advocacy comes up in every single one of those courses, and I encourage them from the get-go that how important it is to be involved in their state uh, association, AANA, and these advocacy efforts. I require them to, uh, when they take my in professional aspects falls over lobby day, and one of their requirements is they have to come to lobby day and talk to a legislator and then write it up. And um, I hold them to a pretty high standard on this. I tell If they don't show up and they don't give me a good excuse for not showing up, they will get a failing grade on this particular assignment. And then I also bring a group of them to mid-year. And last year, I think I brought about eight of my students. And this year, I had about 14 all set to go. And uh-huh. they were totally excited. And so this is a huge disappointment to not bring them. And uh, you know, I've gone so far as the um, we've been trying to get funding for them to go because, Mm -hmm. you know, students are poor. So uh, through the foundation and most universities, I know at Northern Kentucky university where I teach, we have a foundation and I've pushed a big fundraising drive there to get money donated specifically for bringing our students to meetings so we can at least give them some small stipend and allow them to come to the meeting. But it's incredibly important. And I think, Sharon, you can relate to this. I think back to the days when I first got involved in advocacy and how incredibly excited I got about just being in the Capitol, talking to legislators. It is so much fun to bring students into that environment and see their excitement develop. And you can see the ones that are heading in your direction they come to you and they're like that was the best day of my life and <laughs> that just makes me so happy you know i really feel like at this point that's my role i've kind of reached the pinnacle in my own advocacy efforts you know i've been on the state grc i've been chair of the ana government relations i'm federal political director for kentucky right now so i'm still still love to be involved in advocacy but I feel like my role for the future is to make sure students follow in my footsteps and get excited about this. And you know, I really want to be involved in training the next generation of leaders for our association and CRNAs.
0: Yeah. Well, Debbie, you're you're among the the CRNAs out there that are paving the path for the the folks that are coming down the pike here, and that's that's wonderful here.
1: Just a quick interruption on today's show for a special message from Jeremy and Sharon.
2: Hey, Money Guy, what would you like to find if you
0: could? How about some treasure?
2: Well, I know where you can get some treasure. Really? Where's that? Yes, the AANA Foundation is having a fundraising event, and it's going to have to be... Virtual. Of
0: course. Absolutely. Like everything in 2020.
2: I know. I know, right? So they're going to be doing their virtual fundraiser this year. I bet you know all about it. I'm leading you down this path and I know you know all about it already. Yeah,
0: I even know where it's going to be held.
2: Uh, well, why don't you tell our audience?
0: The name of the event is Treasure Island. So we're going to have a virtual Treasure Island event.
2: Well, that sounds like fun. Are you going to dress like a pirate?
0: Absolutely. Virtually? Yeah, virtually. (laughs) And, and, you know, there's going to be different rooms set up. Okay. Um, People are going to be able to visit different rooms throughout the event. And if you would like to... Learn how to mix a certain type of drink. I think there might be a mixologist there, Sharon.
2: Oh, that sounds lovely, but I yeah. don't think we can attend that because I believe we've got our own room.
0: We do have our own room, and it's going to be a surprise room for our listeners.
2: A mystery guest.
0: Mystery guest. And we'll give them a hint. Okay. This guest caught a big fish.
2: A Big fish. Big
0: fish. We'll leave you in suspense on that one, but we will <laughs> we'll let them know who that is the closer we get.
2: Absolutely, we will. So
0: the event's going to be on August the 16th, uh, again, virtually, uh, but you can actually buy your ticket and only $100 for that's, CRNAs. That's a deal. That's a deal. $100 to support the ANA Foundation and all the mm-hmm. great work they do. And for SRNAs, we obviously want all our SRNA listeners to be there and attend as well. 25 bucks. Hey, less than a night out at a bar, which you can't even go to bars these days, right?
2: That's right.
0: Yeah. So support the industry that's going to support you the rest of your life.
2: I absolutely agree.
0: So listeners, you can go online to www.aanafoundation.com, purchase your ticket, and make sure and select Treasure Island Ticket as your designation.
2: We'll be there.
1: Absolutely. All right, thanks, Jeremy and Sharon. Let's get back to today's show.
0: I'm going to switch gears a little bit and maybe talk about some of the barriers to CRNA practice. What are some of the barriers today?
3: Well, primarily the supervision and regulatory barriers. And as we've mentioned already, we have the temporary reprieve from CMS that has helped to remove some of those barriers. And then you still have um, your state regulation issues. You have to see what your state nurse nurse practice act says. Even if you get a federal removal of supervision, often your state will have regulatory barriers that prevent CRNAs from practicing completely independently. So this is a huge step for us and if we can make it become permanent, it's a huge stride, but at the state level, CRNAs will have to work to get the barriers removed related to supervision and direction in each of their individual states. And then there's also, you have regulatory um, barriers, such as accreditation. You have um, groups like Quad ASF, and it's, I can never remember what all those words stand for, and then AAAHC, but they're like the outpatient surgery form of JACO. Right. And those can be stumbling blocks to us also, you know, you'll get you'll have an opt out in your state. Your nurse practice act looks good. You're all ready to go with independent practice. And one of these groups comes in to do an accreditation and they will suddenly throw a piece of paper at a manager and say, oh, these CRNAs are working by themselves. They can't be doing that. <laughs> so once again, you have to have the education and you got to break down these barriers. And one thing that's been very great for our association is um, we are getting people on these boards and on committees Mm -hmm. is on the board of quad ASF and she has made huge strides in um, their regs that will say something to the effect of a physician must be in the house at all times. And so then the surgeon comes to me in one of these facilities and says, look at this. Does this mean I can never leave when you're here doing the anesthesia? So Janice has been a huge resource for me to be able to contact her and say, can you get an interpretation on this reg? (laughs) And she's come back to me with, uh, you know, basically it's a very loose reg and pretty much all the physicians on the board with her have agreed that it does not necessarily mean someone needs to be there at all times, but having someone like that as a resource is so important. And then we have Lorraine Jordan on AAAHC. She's not on the board, but she's affiliated with them in some capacity. So once again, this is one way to break barriers is we're able to get people on these boards and at the table to get rid of restrictive language. And then the next step is in your own individual hospital, just making connections with the administrators because they've been told for years by anesthesiologists that we can't survive without them (laughs) and sitting down with them and showing them the language and the actual legal and regulatory language, they often realize that, um, Oh, wow, we really didn't need these guys here, especially not in the supervision capacity like they've been telling us for all these years. So it really comes down to, You know, you have a lot of state and federal barriers, but as those start to get removed, you have to start working more at the local level to remove the barriers from the institution.
2: Well, you bring up a good point about being involved. And while I appreciate that, I think we need to be the one making the decisions, making the policies instead of implementing poor policies made by somebody else and I know that you have been involved in trying to get elected to office so why don't we talk about that just a little bit this is near and dear to my heart as you well know so I'll let you take it from here Debbie
3: okay absolutely and this is really the next step CRNAs have got to get into the role of being the administrator rather than us going to the administrator and asking them to change something. And then next into elective office. We have several CRNAs who are involved, have been elected locally. Uh, We have Keith Maxout in Rhode Island, who is on his uh, city's town council. I believe he's the chair of that council. And then Dean Mazurik is a deputy mayor of his town. So that's great to get into those positions because they are much more influential than the average CRNA by holding a local position. But where most of our issues occur is definitely at the state level and at the federal level. And right now, we don't have a single CRNA in any state legislature across the country. And that is huge. And we definitely don't have anyone in Congress. And there's at least one physician in every state legislature around the country, and there's probably more than 20 now in Congress. Hmm. So at the end of the day, we don't have any representation, and we have nurses and we have nurse practitioners, but as we know, they can be helpful or they can actually be harmful. In Kentucky, we have a nurse who is quite powerful. She's with the majority party, and she's chair of the Health and Welfare Committee, and she's actually more than once proposed legislation that puts barriers on APRN practice. So nurses are not always helpful. And most nurses, as we know, don't fully understand our practice. So it's really going to take one of us being in the room to make change. And we've been hearing for years that we need to be at the table. You got to be at the table or you're going to be on the menu. And in my mind, we're at the table. We've been there for a while. We're great at our advocacy efforts, we know how to talk to legislators, and um, we know how to do this. But one thing, when I went to see the play Hamilton, it really struck me, I don't know if you guys have seen that, Burr was always bemoaning the fact that he was not in the room where all the action was happening. And they have a song called The Room Where It Happens. And that just hit me when I heard that song, I was like, we are not in the room where it happens. We're at the table, but at the end of the day, we leave the table and those legislators walk into a room where all the action happens and there's not a single one of us in there to promote change.
0: Yeah, now we, we even have a surgeon general that is an anesthesiologist. So,
3: exactly. You know,
0: yeah, making making those decisions as well at an even higher level. So interesting dynamics that are going on right now at the higher up levels. Well, Sharon, do you have any other well, questions?
2: Well, actually, I do have something else, believe it or not. Deb has always said one thing, and I love this, because we have had these discussions about why CRNAs are not running for office. Number one, in North Carolina, the average salary for a legislator is $13,900. Well, that's hardly even my clothing allowance for a year. So that's the problem. But Deb has always said this would be a great retirement job for a CRNA. I mean, we know that most le- legislatures are comprised of gray haired, retired men. So why can't we run for office when we retire? And some of us have figured out during this COVID crisis that we will not make excellent retirees. We're going to have to have something to do. And running for office would be an excellent retirement job, Deb, just like you've said.
3: Yes, I agree. And that's actually one of the things that led me to run for office as I've watched all the great leaders we've had through the years including you Sharon as all of you exit the stage as past AANA president or past board members or you know past state leaders and like chief CRNAs we have so many great leaders in our association that know how to lead and these people often step out of their role and then they just kind of fade into the sunset and I was like that is such a shame to see them just go away but as you said, there's a lot of barriers to running when you're practicing CRNA. You're gonna take a big hit in salary and that's just really hard to do. And I admire anybody who's young and can figure out a way to make this happen, to run for office and to get elected and to you know, balance family, work life, and being in the legislature. But it truly is a great retirement job. As Sharon said, when you go to visit the legislature, they are all retired. My opponent that I ran against who ended up winning the house seat, he's a retired accountant. Uh. So almost everybody you encounter in the legislature will say, you know, I was an accountant, I was a dentist, I was a pharmacist, or as Sharon said, they often have, you know, worked on actually on the farm or something like that. And, but many of them are retired. And I do think this is a great retirement job. And I've been trying to plant the seed for CRNAs that are headed that way, because there's a lot of us. I think it's something like 50 percent of our workforce headed towards retirement in the next eight years or so. This would be a great job for all these retiring CRNAs. And as Sharon said, I think many of us are finding out we're not going to do well with just sitting at home.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is for sure. <laughs> right, Sharon?
2: That's right.
1: It won't be me sitting
2: at home, for God's sake. I've been doing it for three weeks now, and that's just about as much as I can take. <laughs>
3: oh, sorry, my cat keeps trying to join the conference over here. I keep having to push him away from the camera.
2: <laughs> now, how many cats do you have now, Deb? I have
3: five.
2: <laughs> oh, well, you've gone down. So outside of being a CNA. What else would you have done? I know you love creative writing and fancied yourself a writer at one point. So I know there's something else keeping you going right now,
3: Deb. Well, I've always loved history. And um, I think if I had not pursued uh, this particular career, I might have gone into majored in history and become a history professor or jobs would be the historical documentaries So that's something that I always look at. And um, actually getting involved in advocacy as a CRNA has allowed me to bring the passion of uh, the love of history along with my love of being a nurse anesthetist together. Because as you know, when you're looking at political issues, you often need to go back and look at the history behind them. You need to read the Constitution. You need to see what the founding fathers were thinking when they wrote this. So Moving into this role has allowed me to utilize that love of history to do more research in that arena. And I feel like that strengthens my ability to be an advocate as a CRNA.
0: Well, that's good stuff there, Deb. And now, as we kind of wrap up here, is there anything you'd like to conclude for our audience?
3: Well, I want to stress once again that it is so incredibly important. For us to get into that room where all the action is happening, be it the C-suite in the hospital or inside of one of the legislatures, because until we get there, it is going to be really difficult to affect the change that we would like to see happening.
2: No truer words have been spoken.
0: I agree. So if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, right? (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah heard heard that many times between Sharon and Sandy and all the wonderful folks we've had on the show I mean that is a reoccurring theme there so Deb we want to thank you for your time today and and being on our show and this has been great information that I think our listeners will uh, definitely be able to put into play and use
3: well thank you all for having me and I hope I uh, gave you what you were hoping to achieve from this particular podcast, but I really enjoyed the opportunity to present.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You did a great job, and Sharon, I I think that's a wrap. I believe it is. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and
2: Sharon Pierce.
0: If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review, but only if it's
2: Positive.
0: That's right. There's enough <laughs> negativity in this world. We don't need any more. So Yeah, I just time. want
2: positive reviews. I don't want to be COVID positive, just <laughs> positive <laughs> reviews.
0: There you go. Uh, until next time, we want everybody to stay safe and stay virus free.
2: All right. Thanks.
1: Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you'd like to listen to shows. Also be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA history series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA personal finance series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at Podcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.